0: Section 30 of A Half-Century of Conflict This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Half-Century of Conflict by Francis Parkman Chapter 16, Part 3 We continued our march, says La Laverendrye, sometimes south southwest and now and again northwest our numbers constantly increasing by villages of different tribes which joined us the variations of their course were probably due to the difficulties of the country which grew more rugged as they advanced with broken hills tracts of dingy green sage bushes and bright swift streams edged with cottonwood and willow hurrying northward to join the yellowstone at length on the first of january 1743 they saw what was probably the Big Horn range of the rocky mountains a hundred and twenty miles east of the yellowstone park a council of all the allied bands was now called and the Frenchmen were asked to take part in it the questions discussed were how to dispose of the women and children and how to attack the enemy having settled their plans the chiefs begged their white friends not to abandon them and the younger of the two the chevalier consented to join the warriors and aid them with advice though not with arms the tribes of the Western Plains rarely go on war-parties in winter, and this great expedition must have been the result of unusual exasperation. The object was to surprise the snakes in the security of their winter camp and strike a deadly blow which would have been impossible in summer. On the 8th of January the whole body stopped to encamp choosing no doubt after the invariable winter custom of western indians a place sheltered from wind and supplied with water and fuel here the squaws and children were to remain while most of the warriors advanced against the enemy by pegging the lower edge of the lodge skin to the ground and piling a ridge of stones and earth upon it to keep out the air, fastening with wooden skewers the flap of hide that covered the entrance, and keeping a constant fire, they could pass a winter endurable to Indians, though smoke, filth, vermin, bad air, the crowd, and the total absence of privacy, would make it a purgatory to any civilized white man the chevalier left his brother to watch over the baggage of the party which was stored in the lodge of the great chief while he himself with his two canadians joined the advancing warriors they were on horseback marching with a certain order and sending watchmen to reconnoitre the country from the tops of the hills their movements were so slow that it was twelve days before they reached the foot of the mountains, which, says La Vérindraye, are for the most part well wooded and seem very high. He longed to climb their great snow-encumbered peaks, fancying that he might then see the Pacific, and never dreaming that more than eight hundred miles of mountains and forests still lay between him and his goal. Through the whole of the present century the villages of the Snakes were at a considerable distance west of the Bighorn Range, and some of them were even on the upper waters of the Pacific Slope. It is likely that they were so in 1743, in which case the war party would not only have reached the Bighorn Mountains, but have pushed farther on to within sight of the great Wind River range. Be this as it may, their scouts reached the chief winter camp of the snakes and found it abandoned, with lodges still standing and many household possessions left behind. The enemy had discovered their approach and fled. Instead of encouraging the allies, this news filled them with terror. For they feared that the snake warriors might make a circuit to the rear and fall upon the camp where they had left their women and children the great chief spent all his eloquence in vain nobody would listen to him and with characteristic fickleness they gave over the enterprise and retreated in a panic our advance was made in good order but not so our retreat says the chevalier's journal everybody fled his own way our horses though good were very tired and got little to eat the chevalier was one day riding with his friend the great chief when looking behind him he missed his two french attendants hastening back in alarm he found them far in the rear quietly feeding their horses under the shelter of a clump of trees he had scarcely joined them when he saw a party of fifteen hostile Indians, stealthily creeping forward, covered by their bull-hide shields. He and his men let them approach, and then gave them a few shots, on which they immediately ran off, firearms being to them an astounding novelty. The three Frenchmen now tried to rejoin the great chief and his band. But the task was not easy the prairie bare of snow and hard as flint showed no trace of foot or hoof and it was by rare good fortune that they succeeded on the second day not in overtaking the chief but in reaching the camp where the women and children had been left they found them all in safety the snakes had not attacked them and the panic of the warriors was needless it was the ninth of February they were scarcely housed when a blizzard set in and on the night of the tenth the plains were buried in snow the great chief had not appeared with such of his warriors as he could persuade to follow him he had made a wide circuit to find the trail of the lost Frenchman but to his great distress had completely failed it was not till five days after the arrival of the chevalier and his men that the chief reached the camp more dead than alive in the words of the journal all his hardships were forgotten when he found his white friends safe for he had given them up for lost his sorrow turned to joy and he could not give us attention and caresses enough the camp Broke up and the allied bands dispersed. The great chief and his followers moved slowly through the snowdrifts towards the east-southeast, accompanied by the Frenchmen. Thus they kept on till the first of March, when the two brothers, learning that they were approaching the winter village of a people called Jean de la Petite cerise or Choke-cherry Indians, sent one of their men with a guide to visit them. The man returned in ten days, bringing a message from the Chokecherry Indians, inviting the Frenchmen to their lodges. The great chief of the Bow Indians, who seems to have regarded his young friends with mingled affection, respect, and wonder, was grieved at the thought of losing them, but took comfort when they promised to visit him again, provided that he would make his abode near a certain river which they pointed out to this he readily agreed and with mutual regret they parted the frenchmen repaired to the village of the chokecherry indians who like the bow indians were probably a band of sioux hard by their lodges which stood near the missouri the brothers buried a plate of lead graven with the royal arms and raised a pile of stones in honor of the governor of Canada. They remained at this place till April, then, mounting their horses again, followed the Missouri upward to the village of the Mandans, which they reached on the 18th of May. After spending a week here, they joined a party of Assiniboines, journeyed with them towards Fort Reine and reached it on the 2nd of July to the great relief of their father, who was waiting in suspense, having heard nothing of them for more than a year. Sixty-two years later, when the vast western regions, then called Louisiana, had just been ceded to the United States, Captains Lewis and Clark left the Mandan villages with thirty-two men, traced the missouri to the mountains penetrated the wastes beyond and made their way to the pacific the first stages of that remarkable exploration were anticipated by the brothers la Verandry. they did not find the pacific but they discovered the rocky mountains or at least the part of them to which the name properly belongs for the southern continuation of the great range had long been known to the spaniards their bold adventure was achieved not at the charge of a government but at their own cost and that of their father not with a band of well equipped men but with only two followers the fur trading privilege which was to have been their compensation had proved their ruin they were still pursued without ceasing by the jealousy of rival traders and the ire of disappointed partners here in canada more than anywhere else the chevalier wrote some years after his return envy is the passion a la mode and there is no escaping it it was the story of la salle repeated Beauharnois, however still stood by them encouraged and defended them and wrote in their favor to the colonial minister it was doubtless through his efforts that the elder la vrendrye was at last promoted to a captaincy in the colony troops beauharnois was succeeded in the government by the sagacious and able galisonniere and he too befriended the explorers it seems to me he wrote to the minister that what you have been told touching the sieur de la vrendrye to the effects that he has been more busy with his own interests than in making discoveries is totally false and moreover that any officers employed in such work will always be compelled to give some of their attention to trade so long as the king allows them no other means of subsidence these discoveries are very costly and more fatiguing and dangerous than open war two years later the elder la Verendrye received the cross of the order of saint louis an order much prized in canada but which he did not long enjoy for he died in montreal in the following december when on the point of again setting out for the west his intrepid sons survived and they were not idle one of them, the Chevalier, had before discovered the river Saskatchewan and ascended it as far as the Forks. His intention was to follow it to the mountains, build a fort there, and thence push westwards in another search for the Pacific. But a disastrous event ruined all his hopes. La Galissonniere returned to France, and the Marquis de la Jonquere, succeeded him with the notorious francois bigot as intendant both were greedy of money the one to hoard and the other to dissipate it clearly there was money to be got from the fur trade of manitoba for la Verendrye had made every preparation and incurred every expense it seemed that nothing remained but to reap where he had sown his commission to find the pacific with the privileges connected to it was refused to his sons and conferred on a stranger la jonquiere wrote to the minister i have charged monsieur de saint-pierre with this business he knows these countries better than any officer in all the colony on the contrary he had never seen them it is difficult not to believe that la jonquiere bigot and st pierre were partners in a speculation of which all three were to share the profits the elder la vrendrye not long before his death had sent a large quantity of goods to his trading forts the brothers begged leave to return thither and save their property from destruction they declared themselves happy to serve under the order of st pierre and asked for the use of only a single fort of all those which their father had built at his own cost the answer was a flat refusal in short they were shamefully robbed the chevalier writes monsieur le marquis de la jonquiere being pushed hard and as i thought even touched by my representations told me at last that Monsieur de Saint-Pierre wanted nothing to do with me or my brothers. "'I am a ruined man,' he continues. "'I am more than two thousand livres in debt, and I am still only a second ensign. "'My elder brother's grade is no better than mine. "'My younger brother is only a cadet. "'This is the fruit of all that my father, my brothers, and I have done.' my other brother whom the sioux murdered some years ago was not the most unfortunate among us we must lose all that has cost us so much unless monsieur de st pierre should take juster views and prevail on the marquis de la jonquire to share them to be thus shut out from the west is to be cruelly robbed OF A SORT OF INHERITANCE WHICH WE HAD ALL THE PAINS OF ACQUIRING, AND OF WHICH OTHERS WILL GET ALL THE PROFIT. HIS ELDER BROTHER WRITES IN A SIMILAR STRAIN, WE SPENT OUR YOUTH AND OUR PROPERTY IN BUILDING UP ESTABLISHMENTS SO ADVANTAGEOUS TO CANADA, AND AFTER ALL WE WERE DOOMED TO SEE A STRANGER GATHER THE FRUIT WE HAD TAKEN SUCH PAINS TO PLANT, and he complains that their goods left in the trading-posts were wasted, their provisions consumed, and the men in their pay used to do the work of others. They got no redress. St. Pierre, backed by the governor and the intendant, remained master of the position. The brothers sold a small piece of land, their last remaining property, to appease their most pressing creditors st pierre set out for manitoba on the fifth of june seventeen fifty though he had lived more or less in the woods for thirty-six years and though la Jonquire had told the minister that he knew the countries to which he was bound better than anybody else it is clear from his own journal that he was now visiting them for the first time. They did not please him. I was told, he says, that the way would grow harder and more dangerous as we advanced, and I found, in fact, that one must risk life and property every moment. Finding himself and his men likely to starve, he sent some of them under an ensign, named neverville to the saskatchewan they could not reach it and nearly perished on the way i myself was no more fortunate says st pierre food was so scarce that i sent some of my people into the woods among the indians which did not save me from a fast so rigorous that it deranged my health and put it out of my power to do anything towards accomplishing my mission even if i had had strength enough the war that broke out among the indians would have made it impossible to proceed Neverville, after a winter of misery tried to fulfil an order which he had received from his commander when the indians guided the two brothers La laverandrie to the rocky mountains the course they took tended so far southward that the chevalier greatly feared it might lead to Spanish settlements, and he gave it as his opinion that the next attempt to find the Pacific should be made farther towards the north. Saint-Pierre had agreed with him, and had directed Niverville to build a fort on the Saskatchewan, three hundred leagues above its mouth. Therefore, at the end of May 1751, Niverville sent ten men in two canoes on this errand, and they ascended the Saskatchewan to what St. Pierre calls the Rock Mountain. Here they built a small stockade fort, and called it Fort La Jonquire. Niverville was to have followed them, but he fell ill and lay helpless at the mouth of the river in such a condition that he could not even write to his commander. St. Pierre set out in person from Fort Reine for fort la jonquire over ice and snow for it was late in november two frenchmen from neverville met him on the way and reported that the assiniboine had slaughtered an entire band of friendly indians on whom st pierre had relied to guide him on hearing this he gave up the enterprise and returned to fort la reine here the Indians told him idle stories about white men and a fort in some remote place towards the west, but, he observes, nobody could reach it without encountering an infinity of tribes more savage than it is possible to imagine. He spent most of the winter at Fort Lorraine, here, towards the end of February, 1752, he had with him only five men having sent out the rest in search of food suddenly as he sat in his chamber he saw the fort full of armed assiniboans extremely noisy and insolent he tried in vain to quiet them and they presently broke into the guard-house and seized the arms a massacre would have followed had not St. Pierre, who was far from wanting courage, resorted to an expedient which has more than once proved effective on such occasions. He knocked out the heads of two barrels of gunpowder, snatched a firebrand, and told the yelping crowd that he would blow up them and himself together. At this they all rushed in fright out of the gate, while St. Pierre ran after them, and bolted it fast. There was a great anxiety for the hunters, but they all came back in the evening without having met the enemy. The men, however, were so terrified by the adventure that St. Pierre was compelled to abandon the fort, after recommending it to the care of another band of Assiniboines, who had professed great friendship. Four days after he was gone, they burned it to the ground. He soon came to the conclusion that farther discovery was impossible, because the English of Hudson Bay had stirred up the western tribes to oppose it. Therefore he set out for the settlements, and, reaching Quebec in the autumn of 1753, placed the journal of his futile enterprise in the hands of Duquesne, the new governor." Canada was approaching her last agony. In the death struggle of the Seven Years' War, there was no time for schemes of western discovery. The brothers La Vrendrye sank into poverty and neglect. A little before the war broke out, we find the eldest at the obscure Acadian post of Beausjour, where he wrote to the colonial minister a statement of his services which appears to have received no attention. After the fall of Canada, the Chevalier de la Vérindraye, he whose eyes first beheld the snowy peaks of the rocky mountains, perished in the wreck of the ship Auguste, on the coast of Cape Breton, in November 1761. End of section 30.